Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, hello, hello. It's the Private Talk Podcast with Alexis Texas, and we are back with another episode. And I am just loving the way these guys are, These all these episodes are going. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm meeting a lot of interesting people, all walks of life. And, you know, Private Talk is about educating myself and you listeners out there. So I hope you're liking and subscribing to my channel. But I want to announce my next guest. I want to announce Dr. Rita Ali. Thank you for coming on Private Talk and being a guest with me. Um, I'm excited to have you on my couch. I'm excited to get to know you a little bit better, your story. Um, speaking of story, you're an author. You have a new book coming out. Yes. Can you uh, let my Private Talk listeners, what's your book's about and where we can find it? Okay, well, it should be released around March the 17th. Okay, so it's not quite ready for release, but it's called Triple Jeopardy. And it's about my journey with the federal government, an indictment. I was indicted and convicted of a crime that I did not do. And um, they convicted me three times on the same felony. What they did is they just came back a different way and called it a superseding indictment. So basically it's just the same charges and they did it to me three times. And we were a highly political family in Philadelphia, very prominent. I was a former commissioner um, I served nine years on the State Board of Cosmetology under two different governors. Um, my background, um, I did uh, public relations work for, I had my own company, and I um, also was a featured stylist for the International Hair Show. I'm old, Lexus, okay? Girl, you, you've, yeah. um, you're seasoned in a very <laughs> lovely way, seasoned, and that. you know what I mean? I that, that means like you have so many, you know, layers to the onion that peel back the layers which makes the, the beautiful woman that you are oh, and I appreciate you know you coming and sharing you know those things with us but you know you you have so many accolades and you have all these you know big accomplishments how did it feel like you you know we were speaking earlier like you'd never been in trouble before and now you're being tried and or you're being convicted of something three times basically the same thing which you know it's you, you can't be double jeopardy but they wanted they made it something different to make it like you were even more wrongful. Exactly. With so how did yeah. that make you feel? Like it was, I mean, did you, were you like thinking it was a joke? Did you think that it was like, like, where is this coming from? Am I being targeted? Like, how did that really well, even affect your life? Well, actually I knew I was being targeted because the whole, the whole reason that the federal government came after me is because my husband was an extremely prominent um, cleric in Philadelphia. And um, you know how it always comes down to the electoral college for, mm -hmm. um, wins the national, the presidency. So if you take Pennsylvania, you pretty much are guaranteed if you're a Republican or Democrat, if you take Pennsylvania, because it has a lot of electoral colleges. And so um, my husband was very tied in with unions and clerics, and he was actually on the prison board, okay? And um, so he had lots of tie-ins with everybody, and it's almost like not kissing the ring, but it was like, if you want to be elected for a local state you're office. You're going to do this for me. And yeah. if not, you're going to get convicted. Right. So what, 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 what it was is that um, my husband had a company. And um, the company um, was doing very well. And um, so he got a contract from the, the governor. I mean, not from the governor, from the state and from the city, which... The federal government said it was pay to play, but it was really just 
something for them to use to come at him because if you take Pennsylvania, you can take the presidency. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, um, and then it was right after 9-11, okay, and we're Muslims, so right after 9-11, and then, um, so who's the prime people to come after when people are thinking all Muslims are terrorists and, um, or there's something weird about them or whatever? So when they came at us, first they came after him and the mayor, and they were after the governor, and they were after other people too. And then they came and charged me with a crime that was totally unrelated. Um, we had a uh, program at our school. I don't want to tell too much about it because I want them to read the book. But we had a program at our school that was associated with the community college in Philadelphia. And um, I all I did was sign the rental agreement. Well, they said it was a bogus program, which is not true. The program existed. And uh, so they came at me with that. And through my lawyer, I was offered a chance to do a plea bargain. Well, I'm not ghetto. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up upper class um, very well, you know, um, in the best areas of Philadelphia. And uh, You knew your rights. Yeah. But also, I believed in our system of justice. And there's no way someone can find me guilty for something that I didn't do. Because that's what we were taught to believe, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and believe in the justice system that, you know, it, that's what we, it's all taught. So it's like, how are you not going to believe when someone like yourself has never done anything wrong? Like, why are you going to convict me? Right. Alexis, when I tell you that I didn't even have a moving violation, okay? Parking tickets, I didn't get them. My son, my husband, they got them, but I made sure we always paid them. I dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and so my book is not about a woe is me because I'm not a weak person. But you come after someone that lives a lavish life. Um, I'm hanging out with and doing work for Don King and um, Muhammad Ali. and um, Well, not actually working for Don King, but I created a mascot for boxing, and I did a lot of different things you know, associated with Don King Productions, and I did things... Um, associated with Muhammad Ali. Actually, I brought Muhammad Ali to be honored in City Hall in Philadelphia in the early 70s. And they were not... It's amazing. They were not taking a lot of, particularly Muslims, <laughs> into City Hall to be honored. And, and then I also had a radio show that I did health and beauty tips, okay? At one time, I thought myself cute enough to do some health and beauty tips, okay? Girl, you know you're cute. Stop <laughs> lying to most private talkers. They know you're cute. <laughs> Well, I thought I was hot enough, I'll put it that way, to do some health and beauty tips. And I was a featured stylist for the International Hair Show. So I was, um, like, basically could write my own ticket in Philadelphia, like a local celebrity um, amongst those that that knew me. And I produced the number one radio show in Philadelphia at the time. Amazing. I'm going to give it up to you. Yeah. I love it. It's such an inspiration to have, you know, such a strong woman. And even even those people who try to hold you back in the beginning of you know, your fight was so much stronger and you know you, you're here to tell your story and you know give people like myself hope to like you know regardless of what downfalls that people try to put in front of you you can you know still keep going and keep fighting back you know I think what's really important is that people for if they take anything from my book is that they take resilience because that's what brings you back you have to have a, a spirit of fight in you because you have to reckon, like you asked me earlier, how did I feel about it? Well, first of all, you're kind of numb because you can't really believe that this is really happening, especially when you're innocent. 
And I'm, I've always been the person that if I've done something, you can bet your life I'm going to tell you I did it. You know, I wasn't the girl in high school that if I said something about you and they told you, I wasn't going to deny it. I was the one like, yeah, I said it, and what? Okay? Yeah. What? Okay. And I'm not like a person that was in a lot of fights or anything like that, but if I said it, I'll own it. So if I did it, and I'm a religious person, okay? I'm not the most devout Muslim. I'm not even trying to say that. But I am a believer in Allah, and I believe that, you know, we have to answer to that higher power. So if I offend one of God's creatures, the first thing I want to do is ask God's forgiveness, get forgiveness from that person, and then forgive myself for doing it, and then move on and try to make amends as best as I could. So if I did it, I would say, like a lot of women that I met in prison that said, hey, look, I knew I was wrong. I knew I was selling drugs. I knew I was doing this. So I did the crime. I know I got to do this crime. They own it. Yeah. And that's one of the, the, the things that I want people to also understand, too, is that there are some really decent women who have been incarcerated when they could have just gone into a drug program. Okay. And many of them are in there because of men. And they didn't have the resources to or, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Many of them. The other thing that really surprised me is because being African-American, you always hear, or it's, it's a, a reality that a lot of African-Americans um, go through the justice system and go to prison. Well, I went to Danbury Federal Prison, and I was surprised that the majority of people were not African-American. They were white. Mm -hmm. They were white women. And most of them were in there because of some crime with a man, a baby daddy or whatever, okay? And I wanted to bring focus to how women are treated so different by men when they are loyal to the men. They're ride or die, okay? They take the charge or whatever. And if that guy is around like six days, five days, three days, they're lucky, okay? The, just, just the horrific things that women have to go through. There's one woman that I met. She was already, had already done 18 years, and my first sentence was 24 months. So I'm not going to go crying about me doing 24 months to somebody who's... Got a, bunch, a, bigger, a bigger bid. Yeah, much bigger. But when I found out that it was her first offense, okay, she had a 30-year sentence. She's out now. She's in her 50s. That's but crazy. she'll never have a baby. For a first offense, no, no violence, because you can't be at the camp if there was a gun involved or it's like a, a violent crime. That's... The camp is for basically white-collar crimes and stuff like that. Or if you've done maybe something that had to do with not white-collar, but you go to a, a higher um, security prison, and then as your points come down, so you don't get in trouble, they come down, your security risk comes down lower and lower until you get to a camp, which is the lowest. It's like minimal security. And so just some of the stories that um, I heard about these women is why I wanted to write the book. I wanted to write the book for, not just for myself, just to tell people, oh, I've been to prison, they wronged me, because I don't care about that. I'm, I'm, I'm still here, you know? I, I, I bounce back, I live well, I'm comfortable. But when they brought my children in, when I wouldn't go along, because they wanted me to say that my husband and the mayor and all these people that I knew that it was pay to play, which is real strange within itself. It's pay to play, when my husband gets a contract, but when Dick Cheney gets a contract or 
the, the president's family gets a, a contract. And I'm not talking about a specific president. I'm just talking about General. they get contracts with the prisons, mm -hmm. okay, for all of the commissary, okay. One of the president's family members has a, a contract with one. I'm not talking about Donald Trump because this is before uh, Donald Trump. So I don't, I'm not saying a specific president because I'm just saying that's the way the system works. So I don't understand how it is that even if they thought that my husband got the contracts because he did and helped people get elected, and when elected officials give contracts to people who pay and buy into their campaigns, I don't understand the whole reason that they came after him anyway, because even if that was the reason, it's done all the time. But when they want to turn something into a crime, they can make something a crime that's not, okay? Like triple jeopardy. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of, mm -hmm. okay? So, but anyway, so that's why um, I was writing the book because I want people to know the story, but mostly I want to vindicate my children because after I would not go along with them and say, okay, so my lawyer said to me, he said, you know, they're offering you six months. I can get you six months and um, probation. And for $60,000, he could do a plea bargain. Okay. I'm like, no. For what? Cause I, I didn't know, do anything. Right, and I know a jury's going to find me not guilty. Yeah. Because I know I did You have nothing. faith that it's going to yeah. be your way because yeah. you didn't do anything yeah. wrong. A jury would, but anybody who thinks that you're going to go into a federal court, okay, up against all their money, I don't care how much money you have, go up in a federal court and you're going to beat them, it's They're not going to happen. Not going to happen. And that's the sad part is like, you know, when they really want you, they're going to make it happen in their it. favor. And that's like, I mean, obviously you're, you're a, a, a witness or an attest to all of this right now. You know, triple, like you said, triple jeopardy is, is unheard of. And the fact yep. that, you know, you, you know, lived and survived and, you know, you did your time and all that stuff like that. And you're still here, you know, is amazing. And it shows you how a strong and powerful woman that you really are. Mm -hmm. um, but I have a question that for you is because, you know, you did your time so long ago. Why now? Why write the book now when you, you know, you saw these stories or you heard these stories before? Did you just feel like it was the right time in your place in your life? Or are you just kind of using your platform now to speak on it? Or, you know, why did you choose the timing of, of the book? No, to come I, out now? I really wanted to write the book for years. Mm -hmm. But I just got caught up helping the children, and um, I moved to Vegas instead of in, uh, Philadelphia, and I just got caught up, and, you know, time just gets away from you, so looking back, it's been 10 years, but this is what really did it. I would think about it, and then I would say, nah, I don't need to do it, and then I'd think about it again from time to time, and I'd write a little bit, and then I'd say, nah, I don't, no one cares, like, who cares, it's so old, nobody cares. My husband, they finally convicted him on something else. And he's about to get out of prison. So this makes it 10 years since the time that it started. I'm already out. I've been out like four or five years. And he's getting ready to get out. The paper that the newspaper organization that hounded us and beat us up every day in the news did an article, 10-year anniversary of taking down the Ali's. That's and that's when I up. said, okay, well, since... You it's, want to bring it's, it back? It's black and white right there yeah, for you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You want to you bring it back? Okay. So now it's time. It's my mommy dearest moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to just tell it. Okay. Good for you. Again, that's sometimes it's like sometimes I feel like when, you, when you're silent about certain things, it's, it almost gives it more power and it's like the wrong thing. Like, so like using your platform and, and speaking on your truths and like what you really did in your story, like no, nobody could 
rewrite that or nobody could live that except for yourself. So like, you know, there's similarities in a lot of, you know, people and obviously that you uh, like geared to your heart of why you wanted to tell these women's stories and tell, you know, what that really like what they endured. So I, um, I can, you know, I congratulate you on your journey and writing your book. I'm excited. I, I want to read it well, and, uh, and know more, you know, about it. Um, because I feel like, I, I don't know, not a lot of people talk about the tough subjects, you know? Yes. It's, it's about the all fluffy and like things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. we have to get down to the nitty gritty and it's uncomfortable sometimes. But again, it's about educating people and, and really like letting people know all sides of it. Like you said, just because right. you've been in prison doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't exactly. mean that you don't have a story. It doesn't mean that you may not be in there for the right reasons. Maybe it's because, like you said, if you needed you know, to have a rehab and there wasn't those resources for you and now you've thrown away your whole life because of the system and you get fall between the cracks because you didn't have a good you know, representation. There's all kind of you know, horror stories that you hear yes. that you never yes. know and yeah. really put in perspective until it's your own. Yes. So, you know, I can only imagine, you know, the, the fear and the, 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 the hopelessness of when the, not the first time, but the second time, the third time, third time you know yeah. what I mean? And now they're targeting you again, saying this is the 10 year anniversary. So it gives you more like fuel to your fire. I'm right. like, okay, so, what else can you take from me? Exactly. You know, you did your husband, right. Right. you know, your kids now, right. and you know, that's like, you know, that's your family. And you exactly. know, and number one is your family. Yeah. You, you know, know, that's when women fight. Yeah. yeah. And you, your mama, mama, kids. yeah. That's the mama, right. mama bear. bear. Yeah. That's exactly, exactly how it is. So when you were going through all this process, you know, your husband, you know, they convicted him of something. How did your relationship within the community and you know friends did you see who was really there for you did you see people turn an eye because they didn't want anything to do with you did they believe that you actually really did these crimes if they did I think to them it didn't matter the ones that did um I can't say crimes I apologize crime crime yeah (laughs) well you know that's okay um one of the things that um was very interesting and to me was very fulfilling is that every day in the courtroom I had so many people there until they were lined up in the corridors. That's amazing. Okay? And the judge even said at one of my sentencing, he said um, to the, um, this is the second sentence, he said to the prosecution, he said, I know what we're here to do today, but I just have to ask this question. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm pretty close to it. Is it fundamentally, he said, I have to ask this question of the prosecution. Is it fundamentally fair to sentence this woman again on something that she's already been sentenced and convicted of? And this is the judge saying this. Yes, the judge said it. Of course, he said, yeah. So by now, I'm out of money. Because if people have any idea, it is extremely expensive. And we were well off. And that's how they, I feel like they do that on purpose. They bleed you dry until you have no more money. So you're like that, that fight of you is like depleted. But it's like, no, now I still got it inside. Yeah, we lost everything. We lost everything. And not everybody was honorable. I remember um, packing up the house and I had a lot of people come over and, had furs and jewelry, and, uh, and um, you know, I kept a little bit of my, my jewelry because I had my sister take it. And when I got out, I had like about four fur coats that are missing, and I have an idea who did it, but if they're that foul, whatever, and, uh, and, and I brought that up because you think everybody's with you, but people have motives. Mm-hmm. And then when you go into prison and it's a high-profile case like mine was, I mean, every day on the news, on TV. So much so, Lexus and Till, I swear, they had theme music. Like letting you know, after this commercial, doom, 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 here we come, the Ollies are coming after this. We're, you know, every day, all day. So you're just being beat down, beat down, beat down. And the whole time, you want to speak out. And the press, everywhere you go, outside of our house, outside of our school, 
outside of the business, everywhere. And I'm talking about crowded around you, like to knock you over, you know, like you're a major star. Uh, so now I know what it people go through. It consumes your life, yeah. Yeah, I know what, like, celebrities, why they, they get annoyed, you know, because you get knocked and banged and whatever. But it was, um, what they never could break was the hole and the regard that Philadelphians had for me. When I go back home, and Frenchie, that's my adopted son, he can tell you, there are 30, 40, 50 people in my suite, okay? Just coming to see Dr. Philly Ali. love. Yeah, Philly love. It's, it's really the... It's real. They say brotherly love, but it's really the city of sisterly affection, too. Now, we got some low lives there, too, but, you know, whoever stole my furs, you know, <laughs> and probably, re, probably redid them and, you know, cut them up and all that type of stuff. But anyway, so they got that. But if you're watching a private talk podcast and you took those first, <laughs> we're coming after one you. One was a silver fox. <laughs> another one was a black fox. Um, and then there was another one. Okay, but. It just shows character, like how classless that is, like in a time of need, like someone that you would think, you know, in your close circle that would just like, you know, have access to your home and your goods or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you like come out and you're just like, yeah, that's foul. You know, the other thing that that stands out is that um, I remember knowing that I was going to go back to prison um, for a second time. And so I'm getting rid of everything in the house and mostly I'm giving stuff away. And I remember one of the sisters, she had a Chanel, a Chanel bag, one of my Chanel bags, and she said, Sister Farida, are you sure, Farida is my Muslim name. She said, are you sure you want to part with this? And I said, yeah. And then I had a lot of Muslim garbs and Kimars and stuff like that. And I was like, take everything. And another sister came up, she said, stop giving all your stuff away. You act like you're never coming back. But you know what I knew? I was never coming back to that life again. I knew that. I knew I was transitioning into something else. That's truthful. That's real. Yeah. I knew I was, like, it was like a, the spirit prepared me for it. And I just want to share something else with you. So I've always been on this mission to look like you, like to lose the weight and get, you know, back in shape, you know, like I was when I was younger, to look really hot. And so I had decided that I'm going to go to this, I call them fat farms, where, you know, they go and you exercise and they, they monitor your food and all that. And... The school was a private school, but it was a religious school, and it was always costly, every time. And it got to the point, because I started this uh, initiation program where I would take students that didn't have any money, and we would pay their tuition. And then I would ask the parents, like, okay, look, how much can you really afford, okay? And I started that once I started, I became the assistant director of education. And I started a program that really helped kids, and we took them from bad neighborhoods or whatever, and... 99, I'd say 0.9% of them are going to the best colleges in the world, Oxford, Yale, Princeton. And these are kids from the hood, okay? Not all of them, but a lot of them. And a lot of them were on their way to reform school. We took them and, and you know, transformed them and transformed their lives. So we had a very good program at the school. So, but there was always something going wrong. So because of the tuition um, support program that I started, when I would interview them, well, they would say, okay, well, I can actually afford 300 a month or whatever. Every year it went down because the word got out. If you tell Ms. Ali you don't have nothing, you don't have to pay anything. So my husband and I were supporting the school, okay? And so I had saved up this money. I think it was like about $25,000, and I was going to go there for like about four weeks. I can't remember exactly the amount, but I know it was up in the $25,000. I said, you know, this, I'm going to do something for me. I've been neglecting me. I haven't brought anything. I'm going to 
do this. That day, I get a call from a brother, Farouk. I get a call from him, and he says, uh, Sister Farida, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, uh, what? And he says, well, um, we got a problem. The boiler went out, and this and that. And I said, okay. And I don't remember how much it was, but I said, okay, well, let's just say 25000 And he said, so what's going to cost? I said, let me guess. I said, 25000 He said to me, and again, I'm, I'm not sure of the amount. He said to me, how'd you guess? I just knew. Okay, so I get off the phone with him. I said, I'm going to go to the bank and get you a, a check or your cash. I think I went to get cash. And I said, meet me, because I was at home. So I have a kissy, hissy, bitch fit. I'm like no snotty. <laughs> See, God, that's not right. I know I'm not the best Muslim. I know I'm not this and that. But all I wanted is just to go somewhere where they keep food, like food away from me and where I could just walk and lose this weight. Girl. With the Danbury. <laughs> <laughs> I went to, because that's what they say. You know, they control your portions. And they talked about these rolling hills, and it was in a place called Hunter, New York. I remember that. And they talk about these hills that you can walk, and you can go to the gym, and they have yoga classes and all this stuff. And that's what I was crying, like, oh, I would. I didn't realize that that was a prayer. It was a demanding prayer. I was demanding that God put my fat ass in prison. He said, oh, okay. I don't know if that was a demanding. But I get where you're you coming get, no, from. No, so when they, when, they, when, they, when they found me guilty and the reporters wrote, oh, Farida Ali, arrogant even when she found it. Because I just looked up and said to God, oh, I get it. I get it. But I know you know that's not exactly where what? I wanted to go to yeah. lose the weight. But guess what? Danbury is five miles from that place. Now, if that's not spiritual. That is, those are the, big <laughs> signs. So I'm a big believer in, in, in energy and signs. Right, and I sometimes whatever, there. you know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's yeah. a tough one to like, so, kind of like... No, but listen, it's, grass. The, it's the same thing. Danbury had the rolling hills. They had a path that you could walk. Okay? They How had ironic. They, it was the same description. And they monitor your portions. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that you think. Again, because of you know, such a strong woman that you are, you, know, you have to keep a good like, a head on your shoulder. You're positive. Right. You're funny. You have this like, a, you know, eccentric thing about you that you just like, you know, you... You just have like this glow about you. So I, I oh, love your energy. You. It's, it's super fun. So having going through all of those things, you still have this like positive energy going in. How how was your time like you know, the first time you going in, like was were you scared? Were you just are you opening up to women? Is it like the whole typical thing like Orange is the New Black where everyone's just like women going around and being like superly openly, like um, highly sexual, some not have girlfriends? Like how did that whole story fit for you? Well see, I'm not like a person that judges anybody i'm not i'm not the sex police i'm not the the alcohol police or the drug police that's people's choices i'm not i'm not you know i think that's like the worst thing you can do is judge somebody else when you're not in their shoes okay agreed you may not agree necessarily agree with what someone does but i'm not like that person that oh i'm gonna have a heart attack or something because of something you're doing yeah you know one way or the other and i take people on their merit on how they respond to me Going into the federal prison system, um, it was about as dignified as it could be because the judge, um, he, um, he, he authorized for me to self-surrender. Okay. 
which meant that I did not have to turn myself into. And, and then he also gave me like 30 days or how he would have given me 90, but I just wanted to get it, get over, it over with. with. Yeah, just get it over with. But um, so it wasn't like um, I was like really afraid because I had a wonderful probation officer. Well, they, you're on supervised release even before you go to prison with the feds. I, I don't understand how that works, but even before you get convicted. Someone's watching yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he told me, he said, you're going to be okay um, in there. He said, because the most things that cause problems for women in prison, um, and I don't know if that's true for men, but he said, are gambling, uh, sexual, you know, lovers' quarrels. Mm -hmm. And it was another one. Oh, bigging up, like lying, you know, whatever, because everybody can see through Over embellishing. it. embellishing. Yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot. Like, I learned gay for the stay. I had never heard that. I could figure it out. Because some women that are really gay resent women who come and they're, they're just gay for the stay, so to speak. So when they come out, they act like they were never involved. Nothing with ever them. happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they really resent that. That's like that's like a a, a, a negative, you know. Because you're devil. shunning basically the community. You're not really respecting it. You're right. Just doing exactly. It for well, you're doing it because maybe the person that you're involved with can get you some money from on their I mean get you stuff on their commissary or whatever mm -hmm. or maybe you really are attracted to them but yet you're ashamed or maybe you're whatever so I learned about things like that but going into prison I remember that day my 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 brother and um my a couple of sisters and my biological sister who's no longer with us drove me up there and it was a real rainy day and they wanted to stay and because um I wanted them to get, go because I just wanted to get in. I got to do this, and I don't want to procrastinate. I'm sure it has to, you know, yeah. ego, not ego, but like, you know, it's it's not a good moment. You know, it's, it's horrible. It's not like a vacation. No. You know, no. so it's like you just like you just want to peel the bandaid off and like it's go home. Yeah. Let me do my thing. Yeah. I got this. Get the fast pain. Well, I tell you, it didn't it didn't hit me at first. It hit me when they left. Because they're going that way and I'm going this way. And it's way. real. Yeah, and it's real. But the, the CO said, okay, they can stay with you for a while until, you know, we're ready to take you. And they wanted to stay till the last minute, but I wanted them to go. Because I turned my back as they left. I didn't want to see them mm -hmm. go. So they left, and then I'm sitting there. And shortly after I, I'm, seeing, I'm sitting there, the CO comes and gets me. And I'm thinking they're going to handcuff me, but they didn't. And she takes me back. Now, the worst thing for me was having a nun professional do a cavity search on me. You know, I thought it was bad enough when you reached all around in my mouth and went in my hair to see if there was weave, as if some women can't achieve without weave. Like, everybody has to have a weave in because they want to take your braids out or whatever you have. Like, yeah. So that, strip you down. Yeah, so yeah. And then to strip down in front of other women, which I had never had to do Experience, that before. Yeah. yeah, you know. And again, not having a parking violation, right. not having any of these things, and right. it's like, why me? I'm, I'm exactly, sorry. exactly. So I knew that I was there, but it was still kind of like an uh, outer body experience, like it was really happening with someone you're like else. In the you're going through the motions. Yeah, yeah. So then they give you a bag with this dingy, a pillowcase with dingy, looks disgusting, and an army blanket, and tell you to head up the hill. I didn't know where the hell I was going. I get there, and I go up to the hill, and then I get inside, and the, the women are so nice, the, the inmates. They tell me where to go. 
Okay. But when I got there, they already knew who I was. High profile people they knew. When I was coming in, there was a woman, she said, I couldn't see because she was standing in front of a window that had light and she was up on a platform. So I'm coming in and she said to me, um, hey, Farida Ali. I'm looking, I can't make out, and I'm like, you know me? And she said, no, everybody knows who you are. Oh, like, yeah. you've been waiting on you. And I'm thinking, like, waiting on me for what? Like, shoot, what y'all going to yeah, do? Yeah, 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 I'm ready for <laughs> Yeah, what the hell y'all, what, what you waiting on me for? But, you know, later you, you, you find out. And um, so then you, you got to, there's a line for everything. You got to line up to go to the counselor and line up to go to whatever. So you're going through all that. So you, that whole day, you're getting processed in. And you're getting your garments, you know, your prison stuff. And like, so by the end of the day, you're pretty much exhausted that first day. You know when it hit me? You're in a dorm. They turn the lights out. But the hall lights are on. And the dorm is like a fishbowl, like they call it, because it's all glass so that you could see, you know, inside. Mm -hmm. And the light was shining in. And I'm on the bottom bunk, and there's another woman on top of me, and two women in the bunk here, and two women there. So there's six women all together. Alexis, when it hit me, was when the lights went out. And all of a sudden, I said, oh my God, I'm really in prison. I felt my heart, my chest. I felt the weight of knowing that this is real. I gotta be here. Yeah. I'm away from everyone that loves me and everyone that I love. And I have to be here in this place. And I know that I was looking at probably less than 24 months, but to think that I would have to endure this for all this time, that was like the absolute... That's heavy. Heavy for me. So I didn't want to be weak, but my eyes start dwelling, and then I, you know my nose start... So I turned and I faced the wall, and I let the tears just cry, you know, and I'm like kind of feeling sorry for myself and feeling like bad, and like, this is so wrong. Why did they do this to me? I'm a good person. And then all of a sudden, something in my head said, nope, don't do it. Don't give them not another tear. The only thing that you got to give these mother effers is time. Give them their time. But how you give it, that's your power. And I took my power back that day, and I never gave them another tear. I love that. That's real. That's, like, that's a really honest answer, and that's a, you know, mm -hmm. the truth, though. You, know, you, you, give, you show your weakness on other things, and not weakness because it makes you weak to cry, but in those environments, it's like, you, you know, it's fight or flight. You know, you have to, like, figure out how to, you know, survive and, yeah. you know, put your head down, do your time, and that's just, you know, what it is. Yeah. Um, so, again, I think that your journey is, you know, definitely a powerful thing. I look forward to your book. Um, I think all Thank my you. listeners out there are going to enjoy it as well. Um, you, you also are doing a podcast. Um, yes. Can we talk about that? Yeah. The, the podcast is uh, uh, it's, uh, based off of We Too Matter, which is an organization, uh, a nonprofit that I founded for to help women reacclimate into society who have been incarcerated. Um, and it's not just only for women, because when you help women, they have families. Mm -hmm. So and their sons are impacted by their mothers going to prison. Um, there's a story about one person, um, he's married to my granddaughter, and his mother went to prison and for um, a long time. And he became a doctor. But there are other stories where other people their mother went to prison because she's the hub. Mm -hmm. She's the hub. She keeps that family together. And they go the opposite way. So when you help women reacclimate into society, you help society at large. 
and that the realization of being incarcerated with women and seeing women shackled and having babies and have to be chained to beds and stuff while they're in labor and just hearing stories. Like, I didn't see anybody in the hospital because you don't, you don't go, but you hear stories, horror stories, and knowing that male COs rape women and, you know, and um, just, just knowing those horrific things that happen to them and then they come out. And when you give someone a felon record, you give them a life sentence. It's a social life sentence. They're sentenced to that degradation, that um, stigma of being a low life. They're not worthy of anything. So now you're going to take everything from them, especially the feds. They take everything. Like, we lost our house. We lost everything. Because what they don't take, if they don't have the power to take it, they make sure you have no funds to keep it. Mm -hmm. Okay? And you have to pay an enormous amount to a lawyer for a federal thing. So when the women come out, and there's some very smart, skilled women. And I look at all the things that, you know, lots of people that are doing for criminal justice. But for me, as a senior citizen, it just seems like everything is geared towards younger people, the focus. I'm not saying that there are not people that are elderly that are being helped. But I know myself, like, I'm healthy. But I was in there, I saw a woman die in prison for no reason other than that they didn't want to give her her proper medicine. Mm -hmm. And she told me, she said, I'm going to die in here. They're not giving me, I'm a nurse, and I know that they're not. And she was only in there because she kept her husband's Social Security checks after he died for six months. So you put someone that's 70-some years old in prison for that? I mean, come on. Just yeah. Make them pay it, it back. Doesn't make it sense. Yeah, yeah it doesn't make, make sense. Back. It doesn't justify yeah. the crimes. And they, gotta, and they have to die in prison, you know? Yeah, it's, it's kind of a point where I feel like, again, I think, you know, our education is key about by communicating and, and telling these stories and all these things, like, because people don't, people see it on TV and movies and things like that, but right. until it happens to someone who's personally in your family that you can touch or touch you can have it, like, exactly. and it really makes something that you pulls on your heartstrings, and if you know that person or not, right. but it just, like, that's when it, like, it takes an effect, and, right. like, it makes it real, exactly. and it makes it, like oh, damn, this could happen to anybody, you know what exactly. I mean? And, and, and that's right. the sad truth. And, and it's unfortunate that, you know, that the, the system has been, you know, taking advantage, I feel like, of our, our taxpayers' monies and things like that and not really I putting agree. it and implementing it, implementing right. it into the right places. Because, again, if you are going to try somebody for a crime and maybe they did it and maybe they didn't or it doesn't, you know, the right. magnitude of what the, the years or whatever is, they still should be able to have their medication, still be able to have, you know, exactly. certain things that are just normal human humane right. humane things humane. you know yeah, yeah you know um yeah. so it's, it's it's a shame so i'm a, i'm i'm happy that you're you know bringing light to something a subject right. that needs to be you know talked about more and and have more people behind that movement because that's the only way that they'll make a change is if right. you know having people push it so using your platform and again you know doing that stuff is really an awesome well you know not to cut you off but that's why i mean i am just so odd odd that you you know, a person of your stature, you know, have a humongous following that you would take this on and interview me because this is going to reach a lot more people than just I could have reached on my own because there are a lot of people who wouldn't want to touch this because it didn't happen to them. For sure. You know, and for you, like, you don't need this, mm -hmm. okay? Yes, I do. Well... Yes, I do, Rita. Because you care. <laughs> yes, I do. You care. But yes. I'm saying it's not going to do anything to build your platform. You know, you're helping me and these women 
and, and, and the seniors, you're bringing a voice to it, you know, and this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Like, you're modest, but this is a big deal. You're like a really good person, and I got a chance to see you up close, and I got a chance to touch you and feel your energy, you know, and I watch your, your interviews. I mean, you're a real person. Thank you. You, you are. I mean, you, you're real. You have an aura about you that it's a, what they call personal magnitude. Some people have it. Some people have a lot, but you, you exude it. I mean, you just, it, it just flows. So I can't thank you enough for helping me bring light to it. And when you asked me about the podcast, that's what it's for, because I want to put a face to these people. Mm-hmm. Telling the story is one thing, but you saw those women. Yeah. You're telling the story and seeing them, these are real people. It makes people. an impact way more. You yes, know? yes. It definitely puts a, you know, a face to a name yep. you know, or a name to a face that way (laughs) but yeah I think that you know I you know appreciate the kind words I think that you know it's really um humbling to hear that from such a you know amazing woman like yourself I think that you know women we need to help women with anything that we do and using our platform so I think that we equally help each other because I like to educate people in my private you know private talk is about learning more about you know our guests and myself and just kind of like opening the platform of knowing things so as much as I feel like it may not matter to me to a point it does still matter to me and my listeners so I think that um, I think that it'll have a message across and like kind of bring light to um, a, such a, a big problem that we have. So yeah, I huge. think yeah, it's it's, because I think like I said, I may not I didn't really know it as much as in detail. And when I you know was asked you know to have you come on the on the show, I didn't really know what we would talk about or things like that. But again, I like to educate myself and I don't like to pigeonhole myself in one facet and, of life. And that's why I kind of I chose to do this podcast as well as. You know, I've never had a chance to get my voice, uh, you know, across a, a in, a, in a way where it's like opinionated things where that really matter on on big topics such as this. You know, so I think that it it helps me just as much as it helps you to talk to people like yourself with such big goals. And and then um, you're out here not just having those goals, you're delivering them and doing them. So I think it gives such a bigger meaning to all these women out there that uh, that look up to you. Do you have, um, who are people that you, you know, inspired you to make, you know, you as strong as you are and have done all these, you know, accolades that you've done? Well, my mother, for one thing, I get my kindness from my mother. My mother was a nice lady on the block baking cookies for everybody. I hated it because there were never enough cookies left for me, but <laughs> I hated it. I did. I hated it. She would always give them the popsicles and everything, everybody. And now I've become mom. Like, I've got all these you bake kids. all the cookies? Yeah. <laughs> I don't bake them. I buy them. But, but they're I, getting them, so it's yeah, okay. Yeah, they're getting them some, some kind of way. But, but I've become her in that respect. But I've got my father's zeal. Like, I've never been a chump, mm-hmm. okay? Like, I'm just too big for somebody to think they're going to be slapping me, take my lunch money. It just ain't going to happen, okay? And I come from an area of Germantown where they call them the Germantown Light Brights. They mean it as a derogatory uh, thing um, people who say that uh, it's like light complected women with long hair or girls as we were, and like some of the bullies girls that were bullies they wouldn't they had this thing when we were younger they want to cut your hair, but they would say uh, not her, uh-uh, not today. no no you're not, you ain't cutting my hair you ain't, you're not touching me because it's not about how well you can fight because I'm not a fighter it's your presence. And, but it's also whether or not you will. And that's what the bullies understand, is what you will. And there's like a funny story about prison. When I went to prison, I didn't know 
what to expect. And they had some young ones in there that were a little wild and stuff like that. And I said, you know, nobody's going to be going around talking about they whooped Miss Ali's ass. That's just not going to happen. Now, they might say it, but they, you're going to see a knot on their head or something. <laughs> so the first thing I did, no one told me. I took a pair of socks, and I went outside, and I, they had these little rocks, so little stones, and I put them. So that was my weapon. But then, you know, prison makes you wise. I got real slick. I brought several locks, okay, combination but- locks, and I had about six of them. And I said, anybody that think they're going to hit Miss Ali? And I was like 55 years old when I went to prison. And they think that I'm going to tear their ass up with this sock. So, Did you ever have to use those, uh, those locks? I almost did. <laughs> almost did. I almost did. I almost did. But the girl got away. She got away. She called me an old bitch and threw my shoes back in the door. And then I was accused of being a lesbian because I loaned her these shoes. She didn't have anything. And then she was going to take them with her. And then I said, no, you can't take them with you. They're, they're mine. You gave them to her. I said, no, I loaned them to you. So she's like... No, you gave them to me. I'm like, okay, just leave them. Because she was leaving the next day going to another prison. And so she leaves out. And she's young, I guess, about like in her 30s. And so she leaves out and she slams the door. And she goes out and says, whoa, she's mad. Then she swings the door back open and tosses the sneakers back in the, the room. Well, sneakers, you can tell I'm old. I guess they'll call them, y'all call them something <laughs> else. <laughs> Tennis shoes, whatever, whatever. So she throws them back and said, keep your sneakers, you old bitch. That Hell pissed no. me off. I didn't even go for the sock. I didn't even go for my right. I jumped up. I went after her, and they grabbed me. And I said, old bitch, though, I may be, you got to bring your young ass back here, and I'm going to tear it up when you get back here. Watch out. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> so I, 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 get, I didn't get written up because the CO knew me, and she liked me. She, was, like, she knew I never caused any problems. Mm-hmm. So the next day, she brings the captain or the lieutenant and this guy, really, I swear, he was a, a Caucasian with red hair. He looked like the leprechaun in the hood. Mm. He was behind the desk. I thought he was so short. I thought he was <laughs> sitting, but he was actually standing. And so I come in. He says, all right, all right, let's, let's, let's just cut to the chase. I know what happened here. You guys had a lover's quarrel. You're a lesbian. Oh, and <laughs> she took off with somebody young. You gave her those sneakers. I could not. Believe it. You clutched those pearls, girl. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, a lesbian? I'm not a lesbian. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. You're not, you I, must be. Yeah, no, he said, I see this all the time. You old ones, you've been here. <laughs> that was the first time I'm like, well, I am old. I didn't, because I'm still thinking, okay, I'm fly. Yeah. You know? But yeah, and so I was so mad at him. Like, not for accusing me of being a lesbian, which I wasn't. But just the fact that that's the only reason that someone could have a quarrel, a quarrel about it. That's how small-minded that you are. Did you have any it other female small. inmates like hey, uh, give advances towards you because you know you're no, in such a? You know, or did they just know again like from no. being on the block to like being a kid goes back? They no, just actually, knew not to. No, I was the mom. Okay. Yeah, because um, most of them were younger. There were, I think, about maybe five women in there that were about my age or older, I was like 55, 57, something like that. And there was one woman in there that was my age. And and then uh, a couple of other ones, they were like in their 70s. Um, Basically, I have to say that I was treated with respect. And the girl who threw the sneakers, the next day she came and apologized, you know. And um, I I let it go because um, a lot of the women had come from DC and some of them had AIDS. Not because they came from DC, but DC doesn't have 
a, a federal prison. I mean, what D.C. has a, um, their, their prison, is, they go to federal prison because it's a like district of, yeah, it's a yeah. district, they don't go to state, they go to federal prison. And a lot of them were just on drugs, mm. you know, and um, again, a lot of women are in there because of men, okay? And I'm, I'm not, I love men. I'm not casting disparity against them. But I just think, you know, baby daddies, y'all need to stick with the women, okay? Or, you know, guys just go ghost on women so quick. And women are ride when or die. When they're doing the time. Yeah, women are ride or die, okay? Mm -hmm. Most women, okay? They're going to wait. They're coming. They're putting money on your commissary. They're bringing your kids to see you. Women visiting rooms are not pa packed like men, okay? Uh, maybe some, maybe smaller venues and whatever, but... To hear the women, the moans, the cries, the stories, I mean, what more are you going to do to them? And then they come out of life, they come out of prison, they do their time, and they can't be made whole again mm -hmm. because the federal government or the state has this stigma on them that you're a convicted felon, which is like you might as well wear it on your head, worthless. Yeah. You know? So that's what the We Too Matter is all about, and that's what I hope that the book helps to generate some more interest in my story but my story pales compared to some of the things that these women have gone through. One of the women that, that I told you about that um, was the first woman that said to me, hey, Farida Ali, um, she had been in there and she was doing like 20, she was like 18 to 20 years in when I was just coming in to do like two, two years. And she's out now, but she did like 30 years. Mm -hmm. She'll never have a baby. And it was a first Takes your offense. Whole life away, yeah. yeah, it was a first offense. So how can you do that? Also, like the visiting room. When I would go to the visiting room and see the few women who I, I, I have never seen but one man that brought an inmate's children to see them. And that was one of the girls that was in my in my dorm. Her boy, she was young, pretty, and her husband brought his, her two daughters. But to see those babies, their little hands being pried off of their mothers, and I, you know, oh, that. Yeah, I, mean, it just, I can it's only just, imagine. That's, that's yeah. a tough one. You know, there just has to be a better way. You know, there I just agree. has to be a better way. And, um, you know, like uh, Van jo Jones and um, Donald Trump and um, Jared, they're not doing everything with that first act. It doesn't cover everything, but you got to give credit where credit is due. I mean, that helped a lot of people. I think it's like more than 7,000 people got released early. Yeah. Okay, so it may be baby steps, but it steps but you're, in but the it right steps, direction. It's doing forward, right. you know, and that's the right. most we can start doing, and it's, again, why I say I, I pray or I pry the, way, like the whole podcast on, like, educating people and, and knowledge is power. You know, yeah. the more knowledge that we have, the more that we can make a difference, the more that we may be, you know, touching somebody out there that will, you know, either tune in, watch your book, or right. listen to your book and do you know and make a difference and maybe it you know speaks to them in a way that we don't know or wouldn't right. know that it would if you couldn't ever speak speak about it. Right. So you know I, I appreciate your honesty, your truth. Um, I feel like it's a, a heavy message, but it definitely needs to be spoken about and a lot of things because again, knowledge is power, and I yes, feel it like is. it's um it's yes, a big it it's a big thing that just we need to talk about it. Um, with relationships, how did, you know, after being incarcerated and coming out, um, how did your relationship with your husband, did it, do you feel like the incarceration kind of had an effect on you guys not being together or how do you, how did that happen with like the relationship? Well, we side? were just separated between space. 
but I truly love him and he truly loved me. And there's no time or space or distance that changed that. Um, because I guess too, I was already mature and um, he was mature. So my husband's, um, his strength, like he strengthened me. Like I remember once I was at a, um, a picnic or something with him and I'm like the person that goes to the, the, um, the barbecue or the cookout. I have to have everything. Mm -hmm. So I may not eat the whole hot dog, but I got to have half of the a bite of everything. Yeah, yes. so I had just loaded myself with food this day and, and the potato salad and the, and the hot dogs and the hamburger and everything. But like I said, I only take parts of it, but I was so full. But then it kept, it got dark and it kept feeling like something was biting me and all over me just kept. So all of a sudden I started feeling really, really sick. And I said to my husband, I said, I'm feeling really bad. And a few minutes went by and I said, no, I really feel sick. Like I need to go to the hospital. He said, you feel that bad? All of a sudden, let's see, it felt like my legs were like lead. And I only had to walk the distance, which I'd say maybe about 30 feet down the, the driveway to the car. By the time I got in the car, I said to my husband, I'm dying. He said, you feel that bad? And I, and I must have passed out because then I remember waking up. I hear, because I, he stopped in front of my, my daughter-in-law's house. Mm -hmm. And I could hear her voice saying, Ma, Ma, but it sounded like she was way far away. And then it got closer because I was, I guess I was coming more conscious. And he had me sitting out of the side of the car, slumped over like that, and vomiting. Vomit was just coming out. So when I get to the hospital, the doctors, um, I was going into anaphylactic shock. Something bit me multiple times, or more than one insect bit me. And the doctor said, What saved my life? was that I threw it up. So the poison stopped. Get you know, out of your system. Yeah. Yeah. But I remember when I said to my husband, I'm dying. And I remember this. He said, just surrender. Surrender your will to God. And you'll be okay. And from that moment on, I was able to process trial, trials and tribulations in a totally different way. Just letting go. In a, yeah, in a totally different way. It's like with the feds, what was I going to do? Okay. The only thing that I knew that I had power over, which is a great power, and that's what people have to understand. I couldn't impact them or what they thought or what they felt, and I couldn't do anything about the sentence. I mean, I could have went on the run, but that would have been stupid. Mm -hmm. um, I had to do the time, but how I did the time, that was mine. And if I, if I can give that message to anyone to let them know that you control how you allow something to impact you, okay? Now, I didn't suffer in prison. It was humiliating, okay? It was hurtful. It was mean. Um, but I got through it because I was determined that I'm going to control my message to my, my, soul, my soul and my heart. I have the power to not allow this to destroy me because it's almost like, not almost, some of the evil people in law enforcement, and not all of them. I've met a lot of good people in law enforcement. But some of the evil people don't belong there mm -hmm. because they're not just about a prosecution. They're about a persecution, okay? They want to break everything about a person and leave you with nothing, okay? And that doesn't help society. Mm -hmm. So you want to just strip a person of everything? That's what makes it worse. Yeah, and what I would like to see and hope that... Um, the president, the Congress, and the Senate, and all of them, they need to wipe away these felon records. They need to expunge people's records. Once they've done their time, 
that's doing more time, you know, and it's, it's just not fair. You're going to arrest somebody, you put them in prison, you make them pay restitution, and then you still give them a felon record for the rest of their life. That's right, Private Talk. I hope you're liking, subscribing, and comment on this episode. I hope you have been educated like I have been. I love your message. I love your powerful, like, you just have a powerful presence about you. So I really feel like your message is going to get across to a lot of people, and I think that it'll help a lot of people as well. So we're going to take a little bit of a break, guys. All right, we're back, and we're about to put Miss Texas on the hot seat. So do you have any questions for me, Dr. Rita? Yeah, I'd like to know... Where you draw your strength from being the profession that you were in and how certain people who are much more righteous than us have their opinions about you and people who do, you know, things that they feel are whatever. Where did you draw your strength from so that you would be able to let people know it's all right to be who you are and you know, help people with that because people are suffering, whether they're gay, whether they're whatever, poor, people have issues. So where did you draw and where do you draw your strength from and how were you able to come to terms with that you wanted to share this and put the kind of knowledge out there that would be so helpful as it has been to other people? Good question. Um, I feel like I can really only attest to like the way I was raised and like the support system of like how the structure of my family is and, and being like, I've just been, we were always very open and honest and you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a straight shooter. I just tell it how it is. And mm -hmm. that's kind of like how I was raised as well. So for me, it's like, I, um, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I'm like, you can't do something wrong when it's your own niche or your own thing. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I just kind of like, you know, sometimes I may stumble, sometimes I may fall but I also come back and try it again and do it 10 times harder the next time. So I feel like my mom was really inspiring and showed me that, you know, never, never to give up, never to rely on someone else to do something for you, a man or a woman, and just to really like, you know, live in your own truth. So I, I kind of feel like I abide by those rules and, you know, I kind of stuck with that. And, you know, it hasn't always been easy. I've gotten a lot of ridicule from, you know, decisions that I've chosen to make, and, you know, when I you know, was in the adult entertainment business. Um, but I feel like all of those choices that I made made me who I am today, and it doesn't define me. Um, it's just a part of who I am and a part of my journey. So I feel like, you know, with all those things, I've, I've always been very confident as a woman um, and in my own skin. I've never been the skinniest girl. I've never been, you know, the, the prettiest or this or, or that, but, you know, I've always just been me. And I feel like, you know, I found truth in that, and I feel like I've just... I'm just comfortable in my own skin. So I feel like a lot of that, I can really only attest to my parents and the upbringing that I kind of was around my whole life. And the other question is, what message would you give to young women who are struggling with accepting who they are, whether it be that they're gay or whether it be that they don't feel comfortable with their body, their shapes, or they don't like their hair, or what, what message do you have for women who the, struggle with their physical self-identity? I think the biggest message that I could give is, that I live by, is to each his own. What works for me doesn't work for everybody else, and so it's like, as long as you are comfortable and you can sleep every day at, you know, at night and lay your head down and, and go to sleep, then that's completely fine. I feel like, you know, you have to work like you have to live in your own truth. You have to work do what works for you. And you know, even with you know this with my brand and, and it's something completely different that I haven't done before, but it's still on brand with what I'm doing because it ties in, 
you know, with everyday conversations with all like walks of life of people. So Mm -hmm. I feel like stick with what, you know, what you really want, set your goals high and, you know, keep striving to be the best. Yeah. I think that's a good message. Thank you. Thank you again for joining me. I appreciate our conversation. I've learned a lot and um, I look forward to looking for, look for looking forward to your book. Um, please let, before we go, let uh, my private talk listeners out there, let them know where we can find you, if any social medias, if you have Facebook, um, so they can watch out for your podcast and your book. Okay, I'm on Facebook under Triple Jeopardy, which is, of course, the name of my book. And um, if you want to know more about We Too Matter, you can look us up at we2matter.org. And uh, if you'd like to make a donation or volunteer your time to help us with this mission, because we're not going to stop until we get the people in power to listen and make changes. We won't stop. All right, Private Talk, thanks for tuning in, listening. I hope you like this episode just as much as I love doing all of them. Make sure you tune in. Till next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.